this transformational aspect of what faith is may be the most crucial piece of the Christian life. I think if I could get people, if I, could, if I had the ability to just plug something into people's spirits and their hearts that I think would serve them well all the way into eternity, it would be this aspect. It's this sort of the subtitle, let me give it, it's the ability to submit to the Father's way in your life. Any of you just love submitting? I mean, you just get up in the morning thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to put my desires down, and I, I really, man, it's just going to feel so good to not think of myself and to think of somebody else today. Anybody got that natural? Because I'd like to come rub up against you a little bit. Maybe that virus would infect me, all right? Anybody with me? It's just not part of our natural self. We want what we want. Anybody with me in that boat? Amen? Come on. I'm not the only heathen in the room. Say amen if that's you. Anybody married to somebody like that? Let me ask you that. Yeah. I get an amen on that one, can I? Yeah, that husband of mine, he needs to get it figured out. Listen, we're all that way. Say amen if that's just the way we are. It's part of our nature. Submitting to the Father and recognizing his hand in things that we don't really want to be a part of is such a crucial part of the Christian life. Let me read this morning from Hebrews 11. I won't read the, the long section that we read when we begin this series, but just a few verses beginning in verse 32. Verses 32 to 38. And there is a natural division here, but I'm going to exacerbate it. I'm going to sort of talk about two different camps in this section of Scripture. You'll see it. It's real obvious. Writer of the Hebrews writes this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Whoo, man. I like that, don't you? I like that list. Amen? Period. And then it, if it just stopped right there, Ebony would have been good. But it doesn't. Listen. Listen to this list. Others, or some, were tortured. Well, they probably didn't go to church regularly. <laughs> Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, and it really doesn't matter what goes after that. I don't care for it. Others suffered, amen? Others suffered torture. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, excuse me, mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute. They can't be God's people. Can it? Destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves. They didn't even have a home. They lived in, in holes in the ground and caves of the earth. Anybody with me want to be in that first group? 
Come on now. Let's just be honest. I mean, I like the sound of that verse group. Amen? I mean, I like that conquered kingdoms and received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, I want to be in that raise them back to, from the dead group. Not that, not that destitute cave dwelling wearing skins instead of clothes. Mm. I like that first lot better. But listen, real faith submits us to his ways. The real question for me today is not whether those kinds of people exist. People that have the ability to stand up under all of that and do it with joy and faith and strength and character and bring glory to the Father. The the question for me is not whether they exist. It's how do they exist. And, and I'm just be honest, how do I not become one of them? Anybody with me? Because I'd rather live in a house than a cave, and I'd rather have clothes rather than sheepskins, and, and that's suffering and mocking and flogging. And Now, why do I say that? Because for most of my life and most of my biblical understanding, faith was presented to me as a means of escape for all of that. That real faith exists so you can escape those moments. You know, this is the way I want the story to go. That just before the guy gets to me with the sword, an angel blinds him. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, can't see me, can you? That's what you get when you mess with a man of God. You get blind. Amen? Anybody with me? Or the guy with the whip. I said this in the first service, and I got no idea where this came from. That just before he hits with it, it turns into Twizzlers. God's power. I can't be whipped. You can't whip me. I'm a man of God. Amen? Uh, it's humorous, but this gets real serious real quickly. That, that I want to be Jesus, not Stephen. That when they pick up the rocks, I just pass through the crowd, the scripture says. But Stephen didn't get to pass through. What's up with that? That when they start to saw me in half, it's, it's like that scene where they, they try to put the IV in Superman's arm. You know, then he goes, you know, he goes to saw me and he just takes all the teeth. Yeah, uh-huh, go ahead. Saw yourself happy here, buddy. You can't cut me. I'm filled with faith. That that's the way faith has been projected into my life. That faith is an escape clause. That if I have enough faith, None of that stuff can touch me. And that those people running around in skins and who are destitute, man, that's a big word, isn't it? Destitute is a powerful word. That the ones that were living in caves and dens, those aren't tithe payers. Right? Because if you give 10, you get 100 return. And that's automatic. I gave my tithe no cave for me. I can't really believe I'm telling you that. Anybody had faith sort of that way in your mind? Say amen. And what's interesting is that next week I'm preaching on the miracles that faith can produce. And how do you balance these? You just do. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're not going to ignore that second list. 
Why? Well, listen, I, I've done those things. I've, I've, I've done the formula that I've been told. I came to church. I paid my tithe. I, because here's what happens. And then the doctor calls. And we want to know why. Something happens that rocks all of that. And here's, as a pastor, what I've seen a hundred times that people that have faith as this nothing bad can ever happen to me clause, something does happen, and they can't find a reason, and they quit God. And their kids quit God, and their grandkids quit God. And that's possible because we've misaligned or misunderstood what faith is and what it does. Or at least, we've messed up the order of faith's development in our life. Let me say that again. We've messed up the order and the priority of what faith is there to do in our life. So what is faith's order? Let me give it to you this way. Number one, let me pray before we get there. Father, open our eyes. Help me say this. Holy Spirit in a way that lifts and draws people to you. I can't do that without you, Lord. In Jesus' name. First of all, he becomes the object of our faith and not the miracles. He does. We establish our belief in him and his lordship through cultivating the measure of faith that he gives us. Romans chapter 12 Verse 3 is where we get that idea from. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Here's what we believe. We believe that when you give your heart to Jesus, and perhaps even before that, depending on some theological things, it really doesn't matter when it happens, but that when you begin your Walk under the lordship of Jesus. The Lord supplies you with a beginning amount of faith. That's the best way I can describe it. That everyone has a measure. It's where you begin. The issue is that many people stay right there. They live the rest of their life. And it is the most consequential decision. And it is the beginning of the most important relationship of all time. But I want you to know that there is more between the moment that you get saved and accept Jesus and heaven. There's some more between there. And a lot of people just hang out right there in the development of their faith. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe I'm saved. I believe God is God. I believe my sins have been atoned for. I believe I'm going to heaven. And if all of that is genuine in you, I believe you are too. But I want you to know that there's some more between that moment and the time your life is over. God's got a plan that he wants to work out through you. And if that's the level of your faith, there's going to come a moment that you're not going to be equipped for. But it's not the miracle or what can happen. It's him. He becomes the object. How does that happen? Let me move quickly to number two. This kind of faith. Let me set the ground rules and then we'll talk about how it happens and what it is. This kind of faith. This faith that gets deeper, that grows bigger, that becomes larger, becomes something that is not so much about what can happen as 
the fact that there is something more. What does bigger faith do? It gives you the absolute assurance of something more than this life only. And while heaven is a part of that, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about gates of pearl and a mansion and streets of gold and, and, and just being young forever. And, and listen, all of that is good, but I'm talking about something even better, something more than that. What is it? It's, it's like working. It's like this reality in your life, here and now, before heaven, and it's like working. It's the difference in walking a high wire with a net and without one. Any of you see the movie Free Solo? It's a documentary. If you saw that, raise your hand. Raise it up high. I'm just looking. Me and Otis and Laura and Laura made Reuben. I can tell that's how that happened. All right. Anybody else watch it? You need to go watch it. All right. Let me ask you this first, though. Anybody that your real phobia is high places? Anybody have that? Hold your hand up high. If heights isn't your thing, okay, then don't watch Free Solo. All right. Because here's what it is. It's the story of a man named Alex Honold. And Alex is what they call a free climber. He climbs without, he, he, he is a, he practices free climber. He doesn't only climb that way. But a free climber is a person who, who climbs with no ropes, no equipment, nothing. Not even a carabiner, no, nothing. He has a little thing on his deal that's got powder in it to keep his hand. And he dips his hand and that's it. And he climbs without that. He, a couple of years ago, set out to climb a mountain that is called El Capitan. El Capitan, if you don't know about it, it is in Yosemite National Park. It is a sheer granite face. And from the base at ground level to its summit is 3,000 feet of vertical wall. He wanted to be the first person ever to free solo it. Climb it all without any equipment. 3,000 feet. For some reason, I know if you fall from like 40 feet, it kills you. But something about 3,000 just seems that much crazier to me. That much more of an accomplishment. He set that as his goal and he did it. In 2018, he mapped it out. He had a documentary film crew that hung from little pieces of the mountain and they recorded it so that they would stay out of his field of vision because they didn't want to interrupt his train of thought. Most of them were personal friends of his that were on cameras. They had some down in the valley with these great big lenses and I watched one piece of this where one of his closest friends was manning one of those cameras and there were pieces of the climb when he would come to it and it was so dangerous that they, they knew that okay he's going to do this thing right now and it is unbelievably dangerous it's very hard with ropes and he's going to do it 1500 feet in the air and they I mean they're zoomed in on it and his friends would get the camera set and they would turn away and they would say I can't watch it I can't be watching it while he falls. Some, some of us think of faith as, the, as that. He was so confident in his ability. Knowing that he wouldn't fall. That faith gives you the ability to face the impossible knowing that you'll never be hurt. And that's backwards. Genuine faith causes you to do it when you know you will be hurt. 
You see that second list? They didn't stumble into it without having first counted the cost. They knew what they were doing. It, it, one, one verse says they refused release. That's contemplation. That's thought. How do you get there? How do you get to the place? Real faith, as I said, might be said to be doing what Hono did, knowing that you're going to fall. In that interview, he was asked, how do you think you'll die? He said, oh, I know how I'll die. I'm going to die doing this. I'm going to mess up and fall and be killed. I'm like, I'm never climbing again. At one point, he's in an interview with his fiance, girlfriend, whatever. She's a delightful young woman who, who genuinely cares about him. And he's sitting as he's getting ready for this thing. And she poses a question to him. And she says, well, what if I, what if I just drew a line and said, you have to give up one, me, or the climbing? And without hesitation, he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to keep the climbing. He doesn't even smile. <laughs> I'm like, dude, baloney for a long time. I can tell you, I mean, if that's me and Leanne, it's not. I mean, it's going to be a bigger mountain than that one, right, just like that. Amen? They may with me? Watch this. Leanne says, it's fishing or me. And I'm like, well, <laughs> wonder how quick I can be to the lake, <laughs> you know? I'm going to have lots of time to fish. You, you know what I mean? They, they actually did a deal with this individual, and they've done it with others, where they put him in a MRI of his brain, and they showed him pictures and the pieces of his brain that lights up with, that in a normal brain would light up with centuries, don't light up. He has no... He has no ability. He has to feel like his life is in danger to feel what we would feel in a normal happy moment. Some of you think that that's where you're trying to get to. I just want to get where I can. I can just, I could, I could have just stood up to Goliath knowing that I've read this story and I know how it comes out. That's not faith. Knowing what's going to happen i tell you what, you get it? Real faith isn't thinking that you can't fall. Real faith has your eyes set somewhere that you know you can fall, but he'll catch me. I might even be broken and destroyed at the bottom, but he can bring me back. That's what gave Abraham the ability to raise the knife over Isaac. It wasn't that he felt that he couldn't kill his son. It even says, I can kill him and God can raise him back. It's the net under you that knows who your father is so good that doesn't say you can't be hurt. I know I can be hurt. I just know that after I'm hurt, he can soothe me. He can put me back together. He can make something better out of my hurt than if I ignore it. Now, that doesn't mean that we go running looking for guys with a sword. I'm not climbing that mountain just so like he did. It's metaphorical yeah spiritual yeah but not the real thing 
living in this way because you know that there's something more. This isn't all there is. This circumstance, while it is painful, there is something more. There's a real faith in me that tells me there's a plan that my father has. There's an eternal reality. There are spiritual forces. There is a heaven, but that's not all of it. There is a plan of God, and it is bigger than COVID. It is bigger than financial ruin. It is bigger than relational difficulties. It's bigger than all of that. Might you be crumpled on the ground in the face of that? Yes. But there's more. There's more than this life. And real faith lives in that. And what does that? So, first of all, he becomes the object of our faith. Second, we get this assurance that this life is not. You see, real faith goes beyond that. My job is not the most important thing. It's this kingdom that goes. It's him. It's his presence. It's his word. It's his purpose. It's beyond that. All of these things in life are not the primary Largest thing in people of deep abiding faith, he is. Amen? And then what comes last to that, actually third, we'll get to last next week, is submission to his will. We do what we do because there's always something more. We don't respond the way that we might have because now there's something more. We don't live. We don't give. We don't forgive. We don't, we don't exist except that there is something more. And that something isn't living in a big fancy house in heaven that you get to live in forever. That's not it. It's him. It's him. What do you mean? It's him. There's something more. Is our father. His love. His care. His provision. His presence. His, and you'll never, you'll never exhaust any of that. I, I know the father. Yeah, but you don't completely know him. There's more. I, I know him well. Yeah, but you can go deeper. There's always more. He's blessed me. He can bless you more. He's taught you. He can teach you more. I've learned how good and wonderful it is to be in his presence. Yeah, but that's only going to get better the longer you stay and the more you experience that. We live with that knowledge. And real faith keeps that ever before our eyes. And then third, what happens is a submission to his will and not ours. And that's where we began in the title today. We do that because there's always something more. Heaven, isn't it? And you say, yeah, but listen, I believe in the provision of God. I do too. I believe in God working his plan out in my life. I do too. Ooh, I believe that I want to be one of those people that live in the power of God like some of those biblical patriarchs. Me too. Let's look at one. I love the story of Joseph. We take a huge truth from his life in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 where we say the enemy tries to do bad things in your life but the Lord will turn them into something good y'all know that any of you ever said that one of your kids comes in they broke up with their boyfriend their girlfriend the world (laughs) you remember that (laughs) I'm gonna die no you're not have some food all right remember that and what did you say listen sweetie God's got a great plan for your life. 
And this loser who broke my little girl's heart, dads, if you've still got young kids, you'll know what I'm talking about. Don't worry, God's going to get him, sweetie. No, no, that's just what I was thinking. All right? And the, or, or something happens, and we, we don't know exactly what to say. So we lean back on Genesis 50, 20, and we say, listen, the Lord has the ability to take this loss of this job or this pain or this sickness or this, and he will turn this into something good. We believe that, don't we? Amen? We like that. We like that faith in a moment can turn things on its heels and a miracle can happen and things that we can't see happen. Say amen. Now you're preaching. Now talk about that. Okay, I will. But you need to remember in Joseph's life, the guy who actually said that to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. That's where that comes from. That that same guy got sold by those guys into slavery. And that same guy later on was lied upon or lied about by Potiphar's wife. Well, that's, that's it. Though. No, that same guy got forgotten by the cupbearer after God miraculously did a miracle through Joseph to interpret that man's dreams accurately. And then he went to Pharaoh's court and forgot him. I love being in the story, but you got to get, if you're going to get where Joseph gets, you got to be sold into slavery, lied on by a woman who wants to commit adultery with you, and then forgotten by a guy who you were used by God to do a miracle for. And then you can say, this was meant for evil, but God's turned it into good. You see, we just want the turn it into good moment. We forget we forget that it was faith in a God that was bigger that Joseph, when he was first sold into slavery, when he was in the pit, it was the fact that God was high and lifted up in his mind that held him close. He didn't quit. And when Potiphar's wife accused him, and there were only two people, God and him, that knew the truth, he didn't quit. It was that same faith that saw God for who he was and that there was something more that when the cupbearer forgot, Joseph didn't despair of life and he kept serving the Lord so that when the moment came that he had to be God's man of faith and power, he had already put God in a position to know who he was and what he could do. But here's what I want to do. I want to get my saving faith and then I want to do what I want to do for the next 20 years. And then when I need El Capitan climbing faith, it'll be there. But that's not how it works. This isn't a moment. This is a journey. This is falling off of mountain after mountain after mountain after mountain and not indicting God and not quitting and getting back up bloodied and scarred and bruised and getting up and believing. He's still high and lifted up. He's still mighty. Oh, yeah, you knocked me down, but I'm up and he's forming me and shaping me. This isn't a moment of something. This is a lifetime of something that grows and grows and grows. And it's all about seeing him for who he is. Why is life so hard? You say, yeah, but, but how come he couldn't just get rid of the difficulty? And if we could have just snatched that fruit out of Adam's hand, we could be there today. But we live in a fallen world where God's will is not done. You got to get this straight. You live in a world with evil and with sin that is rampant 
and that we have been given both dominion and free will. And when we begin to make choices about how we shape our world and we leave God out of it, it gets bad. And you're living in that. There's coming a moment when we won't, but we're not there yet. For now, we live in a fallen world. And you're going to fall many times between Jesus' saving you and you leaving this earth. And after every one of them, the Father will pick you up. You might. It's like this. Here's what why do we? Why do we have difficult times? You come up on what would be described as a, a mountain at that moment, but in comparison to what's coming someday, it's just a little, it's just a little rise. But you, it's too hard for you. You fall and you get bloodied. If you'll get up, have your eyes affixed on the author and the finisher of your faith. Know him for who he is. You get up and you start climbing again. You still don't make it over at Gina, but you climb a little higher this time before you fall and you still get hurt, but not quite as bad because you're a little tougher now and you've learned some things and so you climb and eventually you get over that one and you go a little further and guess what you run into that next year? It's another little mountain thing and you start climbing that one and Trudy, it just won't sell. And you fall, and you get up, and you fall, and you get up, and you just keep persevering. Why? Because your eyes aren't on the circumstances. You know, you know that there is something more than that. He's on the throne. You see a God who is eternal. He's written your name on the palm of his hand and in the Lamb's book of life. And while this is a circumstance, it's not the one that matters. And you keep climbing, and you get over that one, and you get over that one, and you get over the next one. And then there's that guy, or there's that girl. Oh, my goodness. And they gut you, and they strip you of everything and yet you climb and climb and climb and you wait for Mr. Wonderful or God's woman for your life and finally they're there and you get but you got to climb a lot of mountains before you find that one amen a little something for somebody else there all right won't he do it where's Marion it ain't my job all right she knows what that means all right not my job to find y'all a husband all right it's God yeah all right, listen, it's our thing, all right? Pastor, pastor, what? all right, listen, you keep climbing, you keep climbing. Why? Because one day, and, it's, and everybody has this day, you stand and you look up at 3,000 feet of sheer granite. We got the report back. It's cancer. Yes, ma'am. This is Officer Whoever. I'm with the Arkansas State Police. Your son's been in an auto accident. Oh, God. It's too, it's too high. And you start climbing. You get about 800 feet up. And it's just that day. And you fall. And he picks you up. And he soothes your wounds. 
Why? Because there's something more. You're not in this by yourself. Why doesn't he just move the mountain? Mustard seed faith, that whole thing. Because the testing and trying of your faith works for you a treasure more valuable than gold. And so you climb again. You get up and you climb. You see, because every life has got an El Capitan in it. And it's just you and your faith. Oh, there'll be others surrounding you, like the song says. But there will come moments in the middle of the night. How many of you have been there? And it's just you and the screaming voice of your enemy telling you that you're not going to make it. I had a wonderful illustration of this right here, not long after I got to Abundant Life. You see, people face these things one way or the other. They face their El Capitan, and they grow bitter. Or they start climbing, and they get sweeter and stronger with every handhold. There was a great illustration of it right here. Many of you will remember this. I was overwhelmed the first time I heard this story because the person telling it had such a sweet countenance. I'll tell you what he used to say, and some of you will instantly know who it was. Almost every time I'd say, how you doing? He'd say, God runs the show. We go along for the ride. That was George Mayer. He projected kindness and sweetness into his world. He was one of the most generous, faithful individuals I ever met. And yet, before I got here, one summer afternoon, his 13-year-old son asked his mom and dad if he could go down to the river and fish off of a dock that he'd done hundreds of times before. They were entertaining some guests at their home, he and Betty. They said, sure, go on, be careful. He didn't come back at the right time. They don't know what happened. They began to look for him. Someone said, we need to check the water. And the sheriff's department came, and they finally found and dredged up his body under the dock. He drowned. I never had a meaningful conversation about heaven with George that he didn't bring up the reunion that he was going to have with that boy. Man, that's a mountain. Amen? How do you climb it and not quit? Because no matter how high that mountain was, George always had his eyes on something higher. There was always something more than that circumstance. He went on mission trip after mission trip to the church, took the gospel all over the world. He was faithful in every way I'd ever seen anybody faithful. Why? Because he didn't skip mountain climbing, faith building school. He was bloodied. He was scarred. But he was strong. He had. Say it. Real faith. Real faith. You see, 
Worship team, please come back. How's that happen? How did you get there? You ever read the story in Luke chapter 19 of the master that's going on the journey? It's told in several different, several different gospels. And the number changes in one, but in Luke 19, the master calls his servants and he calls his first servant to him and he gives him ten talents. And the next one he gives five and the last one he gives one. And he goes on a long journey. He's gone for a long time. And he comes back. And I have always read that like a financial, you've got to be faithful. If you be faithful in what God gives you financially, he'll bless you. It, in the scripture, Jesus says, if you're faithful over little, he'll make you Lord over much. Did you ever think that maybe that goes well beyond finances? Will you be faithful at the little mountain and not wait until the moment that the accounting is required and you're standing at the base of the biggest mountain you're ever going to face? You show up every day. This is a journey, not a moment. We live in a world that will bring hardship. That's not God. That's just life on this fallen world. And those who make this journey with Jesus get sweeter and stronger. And those who make it alone, as I said, get bitter. You say, well, if God would just do a miracle, if he just flattened that first mountain, I'd be better equipped for all the rest of them. No, you wouldn't. Go ahead, Otis, do that second song again, please. You say, oh yeah, if God would do a miracle, if I could live, listen, I want to go to a church where more miracles are occurring, because if I do, my faith's going to grow, and we'll tell the whole world about Jesus. No, you won't. Miracles won't sustain you. Oh yeah, they will. If I could have lived during the time of Jesus, man, I'd have been, I'd have been preaching the gospel. All. No, they won't. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? You're making that up. No, the Bible tells me that. First Kings chapter 19 there's Elijah. He's up on Mount Carmel. He's called the nation. But before that, this guy, set apart by God to be a prophet, steps out because of the sin of Ahab and Jezebel. And I see him lifting his hands. I don't know if he does or not, but that's the way I see it in my mind. And he says, it's not going to rain until the Lord says so. And the rain stops. And it plunges the nation of Israel into drought, so much so that there's not any food. And Elijah goes to the home of a little woman. And he says... What are you doing? She says, I've got just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm about to make a little cake for me and my son with the last that we have, and then we're going to die. Woo! Great day. Praise God. He says, before you do that, make me a cake. Man, that dude's got some... He, he's, <laughs> he is... Before you make the last little cake and you and your son eat it, I want that one. She does. And Elijah says, from that moment, basically what happens, Elijah didn't say it, but from that moment forth, the flour never runs out and the oil never runs out throughout the rest of the drought. Elijah watches that. A little bit later, that woman's son dies. She comes and finds Elijah. What's the matter? Why did you, why did you do that? Just to, just to have him die. Elijah runs, finds a boy. The short of it is, raises him back to life. I don't know about you, but raising the dead is a pretty good miracle. He goes from there. He confronts Ahab and he calls all the false prophets of Asher and Baal to Mount Carmel. He gets them there. You know the story. Make an altar. He calls down fire from heaven and then slays 950 prophets, evil people. 
then he says and prophesies that it's going to start. I see a cloud. You better get moving. You better get stepping, Ahab. It's about to start raining, buddy. And it does. And then fear grips his heart and he takes off running. He lays down. You say, well, it's just a miracle. It's a miracle that he needs. Really? He's already stopped the rain, produced oil, raised the young man back to life. He's called down fire from heaven. He's slain 950 evil prophets. He's prophesied that it will rain again, and it does. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good list. I'll take any one of those. And then he runs for his life. Even in the middle of that, he falls asleep. An angel wakes him up. An angel wakes me up every morning. Yeah, now see, y'all go tell her the stuff that I say when it ain't like that. But y'all don't never go tell her that stuff. All right? An angel wakes Elijah up, and he's made food for him. He says, eat and drink. He eats and drinks, and he goes back to sleep. Angel wakes him up a second time, says, eat some more. You're going to need the strength for the journey. From that one meal, the scripture says that Elijah runs for 40 days and 40 nights. Supernatural provision. So let's recount. He stopped the rain. He produced flour and oil. He raised a young boy from the dead. He called down fire from heaven. He slayed 950 evil prophets. He prophesied and it rains again. And then he runs 40 days and 40 nights on supernatural food. And yet he still finds himself hiding in a cave on Mount Horeb. Asking God to let him die. Despairing of life. And the Lord says... I love the Lord's question to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? He tells the story, and he says, go outside. And he walks outside. He's had that list, and the wind begins to blow so hard, a storm, that the scripture says it begins to pull chunks of rock off the mountain. And the Lord wasn't there in that wind. And then the earth begins to quake. And the scripture says, but he wasn't. Elijah found no restoration of his soul, no strength in the earthquake. Caused by God. Then a fire, a raging fire, scorches all the earth, it would seem, around him. And he still feels alone and exhausted. He's back in the cave now. I don't know if you've read it. At some point in time, he's gone back in the cave. The whole sermon right there. He didn't stay out watching the miracles of God. He goes back in the cave. I think curls into the fetal position, puts his thumb back in his mouth and says, I want to die. Those three. All of that list of miracles, fire, earthquake, wind. And the Lord said, Elijah, go back outside again. And Elijah walks back outside. And it's not a miracle, and it's not the earth quaking, and it's not fire, and it's not, it's not the wind. It's him. It's him. And Elijah's restored. Life lived with God through every moment. Don't leave God behind. You're going to need him. 
Would you stand with me this morning? Thanks for your patience. That was a long sermon. Would you bow your head? Are you here this morning? And no matter whether it's the Mount of El Capitan, whether it's the worst one ever, you're facing one right now of some kind. You're, maybe it's just the circumstances of the quarantine and the, maybe you've faced economic difficulty because of the things, the lockdown. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's physical and health. But in some way, you're facing a circumstance that you would like to be without. If that's you, would, would you raise a hand? That's me. Come on, raise them up high. Would you join me down here? We can spread out to whatever level you need to. Those of you that raised a hand, come on. Come on. We haven't done this in a long time, and it's time. Come on, join me down here. Spread out to whatever degree you need to. How do we get beyond the mountains, the circumstances? Pastor Roy, if I come down there, will it just stop? Will the circumstance stop? I can't promise you that. That's next week's sermon. I just know that the way out is with your eyes on 